Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for black women on the corporate climb. Hey ladies, I feel like it's been so long since I recorded an episode that was just me, and I'm happy to be back. I I missed y'all. Before I start and get into this episode, which I think is going to be a little bit, you know, not controversial, but like it's something that we need to talk about. I want to remind you that if you have not already subscribed to the newsletter, which is the memo that goes out on Mondays, make sure you text CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. That's the way you learn about the job opportunities that I hear about. You learn about, you know, what's going on in my world, some lesson that I've learned for the week, um, and just some really fun stuff within our community. So if you haven't done that, again, CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866, and you can just do that via text message. Today's episode is really, really near and dear to my heart because it's something that I believe in um, wholeheartedly. I actually had an event that was centered around this at a women's leadership event earlier in the, the year, and it's about the concept of sending the elevator back down. So if you haven't um, heard that phrase before, sending the elevator back down just simply means that when you make it to where it is that you um, want to go or wherever you you have your... Um, your eyes set or your North Star, whatever that is for you in terms of your career, that once you get to that floor, you are intentional about making sure that you're not the last woman, um, black woman, um, to get to that floor as well, right? Once you're there, you are setting the elevator back down to make sure that it's at the floor when the next woman is ready to take it up. And I think what I've learned is that people struggle with how they can actually do that, right? So tangible things that they can do to send the elevator back down. I think that a lot of times we think that you have to be the CEO or you have to be in a position of extreme power in order to send the elevator back down for someone else. And this episode is here to tell you like that is not the truth. There are tons of ways that you can be intentional about making sure that the elevator just doesn't stay with you where you have, you know, one foot in the door so that it's it's open and you can get back on it whenever you want to, but you actually close the door and let it go back down to the floors below yours so that the next woman who desires your position or desires to be on that floor or maybe on a higher floor can, you know, get on and and have a ride on up the elevator. So you all know that I like lists. So I did eight ways that you can send the elevator back down, and they're tangible ways. And the the first that I'll think about because it that I'll talk about because it's really heavy on my heart is internships. Uh, I just hired twenty five internships interns for the summer, and you know we had literally seven days between the time when I knew that the budget was approved to be able to pay these interns, and when I had to find them, interview them, and hire them. And fortunately for me. I have a team that is really supportive and and believes in the power of, you know, the direction that I set or if I ask for something, they know that it's it's important and I'm just not giving them frivolous things to test them, right? It's actually something that will be beneficial to the organization. And what I learned in the interview process is I think that people, when you're looking at interns, we're tempted to, you know, get interns from the same place. And it's something that we complain about when it comes to recruiting, right? We talk about how jobs only recruit from certain schools or from certain programs. But when I look at how people select interns or think about interns, it's like you want the best of the best. And that there's nothing wrong with that. But if we're only picking the same kinds of interns every time, 
how would little kids who maybe don't come from from a background where you know internships in corporate is second nature to them, or they haven't learned um, what that life looks like, or they haven't been in a professional setting? If we're only picking from the same pool of interns. How will those other kids get a chance? And yes, they may be a little harder to develop. And yes, they may be a little bit more challenging. And yes, they may make a lot more mistakes than, let's say, a kid who you know, has been around a professional setting their entire lives. But at the end of the day, I think that internships are meant for kids to learn. And so for me, there's always a percentage of interns that we hire where they may not be, you know, the cream of the crop, and they they may not even be ready per se, right, to do it. But I believe that having them in an environment where they can see excellence at work is really important. Having them in an environment where they see their peers who are excelling and doing things, you know, that they may not have thought that they were able to do is really important. But also just like having them learn in a space that is nurturing, right? I know that. There have been situations, not necessarily when I was an intern, where my spirit very easily could have been broken just because there were things that I didn't know. And so I would prefer to have them under the guidance of my team and of me, knowing that they can have a safe space to learn and to grow without feeling like their spirits will be crushed. And it's the same thing that we ask for in the workplace, right? We always talk about wanting environments where we can learn and grow and not feel like you know it's the end of the world to make a mistake. Now, this is not to say hire interns who just cut up all summer, right? Like there, there have to be boundaries and, and they're there to learn. But a simple way to, to, to send the elevator back down is maybe you hire interns from non-traditional places. Maybe it's not all the tier one colleges. Maybe it's a high school, a very promising high school senior that you notice who may need a little bit of development. So internships, really easy way to send the elevator back down. The second one, I actually was going to do an entire podcast on this because I think that it's important, but I, I felt like it might have been a little bit too much. And so I will say the second way is to make sure that you, on your way up or when you get to the the rung on the, ele- on the ladder that you are seeking to be a part of, that you don't become the boss that you complained about your entire way up the ladder, right? I've seen, you know, in situations where, Power changes people, and they start to ch- to treat or perceive power changes people, and how they start to engage, you know, like power trip a little bit. And when you knew them five years ago, and they had that manager who micromanaged or talked down to them or treated them like they were less than, they felt a way about it. And then the the minute that they have the same level of power, they kind of redo those things or treat people in the way that they deemed unacceptable when it was done to them. And so, and this is for people who, you know, didn't manage people and now all of a sudden they are managing people or people who have peers that they may have accelerated faster than in the corporate space. Like, don't be that girl. Don't be the girl that, you know, gives other black girls a hard time or gives other, you know, black women in the workplace. Like, you got extra attitude with somebody unnecessarily just because, all of a sudden now you have a little bit more clout at work or you have a little bit more, you know, the ear of somebody who's influential and all of a sudden now you become someone new. I think that for us, especially as black women with the bad rap that, you know, that we already get in corporate, like we don't need any extra help. We don't need any help in in improving the stereotypes and the and the the you know the misconceptions about us. Um we don't need help in, in reinforcing those things, right? And this is not to say don't be diligent about your work, don't be firm, and don't manage people, but it is to say, like, 
don't be unnecessarily difficult with other women, especially other black women, just because all of a sudden now you have a new title, right? You've gone from associate to manager or from manager to director or director to VP. Like you can still be powerful and nice. It is possible to still be able to be effective and also a pleasant person to be around. And so I think for me, it's remembering those moments when you had people who treated you or made you feel like you were less than in the workplace, be that another black woman or anybody else in the workplace and making sure that you don't become that the minute that you have the same access that they did that allowed them to act the way that they did. Ain't nobody got time to be dealing with foolishness. Like there, is, there are enough things that are challenging in the workplace that we don't need other black women to make it harder for each other. It's just, it's unnecessary. Again, I'm not saying don't be firm, don't be, you know, assertive. What I am saying is don't be difficult just for the sake of being difficult because seasons change, right? And you may have a power, a position of power now. That doesn't mean that you're going to always be there. I know women who were heads of divisions at one point and then became unemployed. And then what happened, right? So don't become the boss that you complain about on your way up because one, ain't nobody got time for that. And two, it's just really unnecessary, and in the long run, I don't think it benefits anyone. The third way to become to help send the elevator back down is informational interviews. And I know as you you know as we grow in our careers, things get added to our calendars, things get very busy. But I'm gonna bet that you still are asking for time on other people's calendars who are way busier than you are, and they somehow manage to find the time. It may not be immediate. You know, you might have to wait 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, however long it may take, right? So one of my, someone who I consider um, a mentor of mine, I, and she will be on the podcast this season, but I had to wait four months for her calendar to clear enough for her to be able to dedicate the time. And I'm not offended, but if I can ask someone who's more senior and who, you know, is the CEO of a corporation and she can find the time. I can find the time. You can find the time. And if there's someone who's more junior, I would say, you know, maybe you don't do it all the time, but you have time set aside in your calendar. Maybe it's once a month. Maybe it's once a quarter. Maybe it's, you know, once every other month, however it is. But create some space in your calendar that you can use to pour into someone in the same way that hopefully someone poured into you when you were coming up the ladder. So a young black woman who maybe is not necessarily comfortable in the, the, the environments that she's currently in, and you notice that. Or someone who comes in you know, at the beginning of the summer says, hey, watching, I would really like to get some time with you on the calendar between now and when I leave for my internship. I think it's my responsibility if they push through the fear to ask me um, for help or to ask me for a few minutes to find that time. And so a really simple way that you can do it is just allocate that time. And even if they are too scared to ask you, maybe you, you know, you pull someone aside and say, you know, I noticed that you're new here for the summer. I noticed that you just started. Let's grab coffee because I'm pretty sure they're nervous. And if you are senior enough or, you know, middle manager ish, they notice you and they just may not know what to say or what to do. And so having regularly scheduled time in your calendar for informationals could be 30 minutes. It doesn't have to be a long drawn out thing, but just set some time aside to make sure that you are pouring into another black woman in, um, in the workplace. The fourth way I think that you can send the elevator back down is to tell the truth. I think that one of the major challenges that young women face, young black women, when they get into corporate is because they don't know the truth of what it's really like 
to be a black woman in corporate. And, and I, we, we, you know, people do panels and we do all these speeches and we tell, you know, we tell the highlights of our careers, but I think it's also our responsibility to make sure that we're painting a full picture. Now, that's not to say you get up on stage and you start talking poorly about your company or the people that you work with, but be honest about the challenges that are specific to us. I know that whenever I'm asked to speak on a panel, the first question I ask is like, are you sure you want me? Because I'm not going to sugarcoat the realities of what it's like to be a black woman in corporate America, because I think you do people a disservice because they come from undergrad and they are, you know, extremely bright academically, but the cultural transition a lot of times stops and stunts the growth of young women in the workplace. And it's because no one told them the truth, or at least in a way that they can understand. It's the same as like becoming an adult. I tell my mom all the time, like, yo, why didn't you tell me that adulting really was like this much of, you know, of a thing? Right? I, I feel like, not that I wasn't prepared, but it's just like there were opportunities where like this whole paying bills and, and being responsible thing, like that, that's a whole lot, right? And it's the same with corporate. I think the cultural transition is probably the hardest for, for a lot of people and understanding the dynamics. And if at this point you know the unwritten rules of corporate and you've, you've gotten to a place where you can understand you know, how to navigate this thing, or at least better than when you, when you first got in, it's your, it's your responsibility, I believe, to make sure that you're telling the truth so that the next person, the next black woman who comes into corporate can at least do a little bit more to prepare and it won't be such a culture shock. I remember thinking back to college, going from Chicago to a little small liberal arts school in, um, in Greencastle, Indiana, was a culture shock for me. There, I don't know if there's any way that my family could have prepared me for it, but had I maybe talked to some alum, some black alum from the school, I would have been able to better prepare myself for the level of foolish <laughs> that the transition was once I, you know, once I got to school. So tell the truth in spaces where you are. Like, this is not to say don't be angry. But, I mean, you can't be angry if corporate makes you upset. Like, it's it's fair to say, you know, there are things about corporate America that, make me upset as a black woman here are a few of them it's not a judgment call it's just your experience but tell the truth and don't make it seem like it's all roses and cotton candy all the time because it it 100 percent isn't and you know there are trade-offs within corporate and when you have a platform where you can help prepare the next young black woman for this space it's a it's a great privilege i think to be able to send the elevator back down in that way um the next way, oh, this one, huh? So the fifth way that I think you can set, send the elevator back down is to do something else. To, is to do something for someone else behind closed doors. I don't think that it's always necessary for people to know what you've done for them in corporate, right? If it's, I try to, because I don't want people to feel like they owe me anything, and I'm not doing anything out of um, obligation. But when I'm in spaces where I can advocate for someone else, I advocate for them. If there are, I, I think I talked about this on a previous pod, a previous podcast where I started turning down things that I didn't think that I was appropriate for. And I would refer another black woman. And I didn't need to tell them that I referred them for the position because I didn't know, or the opportunity, because I didn't know if that person was going to take me up on it. But in spaces where I have a voice and I can advocate for other people, I think it's an amazing thing to say, hey, I can't do this, but refer someone else. 
without them knowing about it because there have been so many people who have referred me for things um, that I definitely didn't know about or didn't ask for or didn't expect. And it's made such a huge difference in my career. And I think being able to look for opportunities where you can, behind closed doors, advocate for someone else, create space for someone else. There's someone right now who, um, shout out to you, you know who you are, got booked for um, a pretty big conference uh, in D.C. later this year and had an opportunity and was like, you need to bring watching on to this. And because of her, I now have an opportunity, but I didn't, she didn't tell me like ahead of time, like, I'm going to advocate for you for this. She was in a space where an opportunity presented itself and she advocated for me to be able to take up space in that way. So a really simple way, and it doesn't have to be a huge thing, right? It has to be, it can be someone's talking ill about another black woman at work and you advocate for that woman, right? And you present a different perspective on who she is. If it is true, like don't go around making stuff up for people just because they're black, because we're not asking you to be out here lying. But advocating for someone could be if there's misinformation about someone and you know it's misinformation, correct it. You don't have to go and tell them like, oh, girl, they was talking about you and this is what I said and this is how I stepped in. But if you can, correct the misinformation. If there's an opportunity, present it for other people because there is more than enough, I think, at all levels. So do something kind for someone else behind closed doors. You don't necessarily need all the... If you need the applause, great. But I think sometimes it's just nice to do things for people just because it is the right thing to do. Um, the sixth way that I think that you can advocate, or that you can send the elevator back down, is this is for my people who are more, you know, middle management, a little bit more senior. If you manage a budget, suggest professional development opportunities that you can cover with your budget to your staff. I think a lot of junior staff are not necessarily aware of all of the ways that they can be developed in your um, within their corporations, especially if it's a program or something that you took advantage of when you were in their uh, in their stage of career. But if there's conferences that you know about that you know that your budget has allocations to pay for, offer. There's no harm in offering and seeing if people take advantage of that. Yes, they should be proactive and they should and should and should and should. However, if you know about those things, right, and you know that it would help someone on your staff, make that recommendation. Let them know that you have a budget that you'd be willing to allocate. Or even if you say something like, I have X amount of dollars for professional development, go find something and propose it that you'd like to take a part of that I would like then, you know, sponsor you for. If you know that there are resources that can help in someone's professional development, even if it's not necessarily um, something that you would do, right? But you know, for your department and the skill sets and the, and what's required for them to excel within your group or within your corporation or within you know just corporate in general, and you are able to sponsor them in any way through your corporation, just let them know about those opportunities. I know that you know there are things that I've been afraid—not afraid, but that I was initially hesitant to ask about that I knew for development would be great for me. And eventually I did ask, but how great would it have been if, you know, the person who I report to, who is our CEO, would have been like, hey, listen, I know in your role, this is a skill set that's necessary. Here are a couple of things that we have budget to pay for. Would you be interested in taking one of them? That would have been, like, it would have changed my whole day. Um, and he's done things like that before, but if there's someone who you see and you know of an opportunity for and you have the ability to financially relieve them from the burden of paying for it, just offer. It's not that hard. 
Um, the seventh thing is don't be a hoarder. Um, I know that there are people who take pleasure in being able to say, I'm the only black woman who X, Y, Z. And I've been the only black woman who's X, Y, Z for X amount of time. And to me, that is an epic fail. Epic, epic fail. If you have information that can help even the playing field for other black women and you are not sharing it because you take some kind of pleasure in being the only, you got to do a little bit of soul searching, right? Because like even now, I'm so shocked when people are like, when people, we're still getting all these firsts. And it's like, we've been around for so long. How is this just the first? And so if you have information that you know can help another black woman at work, share it. Like you lose nothing, nothing by helping other people, by sharing the knowledge that you've been fortunate enough to acquire over the course of your career. You lose nothing. As a matter of fact, I'm reading this book called Influence right now, actually you gain favor because there's some reciprocity principle where when you do stuff for somebody, they human psyche makes you feel that makes that person feel like they need to then do something for you, even if you don't ask or request it, their minds are always trying to find ways to pay you back because people don't like to be indebted to other people. And so if you have a wealth of knowledge and you know people can use that information. Why are you hoarding it, right? Like, why there is no, no joy in seeing other people fail when you know that something you know could have helped them from, from like not making a mistake or could have helped them make a different or a better or more informed choice. What good is information if it's just in your brain? Once you are no longer there, then what, right? So don't hoard. Like, hoarding at home is, is gross. Hoarding everywhere, you know, it's just not, it, it doesn't help anybody, it doesn't serve anyone. And I think if we want to, as a, as a community, which is my ultimate goal, move us forward, we got to make sure that we're not just sitting on information just so we can be like, I'm the only one who knows this. And that somehow makes me more important or makes me better or makes me whatever um, it is that, that we ascribe to being the person who knows this information. I think it's even more dope to be like, I learned this and look how many lives have been impacted because I share, like everything I get, I share. And, you know, people are like, you should have been a publicist. Well, no, because being a publicist is super hard. But if there's a book that I read and I like that's helped my career, I tell everybody and anybody who will listen. If I go somewhere, that's great. I will share it. If I buy a dress and somebody's like, this dress is amazing because I want everybody to look and feel amazing. And so hoarding information just like, super whack to me, although I always say things are super whack, but it's just, to me, it's like you get the information to share it and pass it forward so that hopefully you are, it doesn't die with you. You get it. And it's like, you are the person where all ideas go to die, or you are the person where all wisdom goes to die. Like you don't want to be that person. So don't hoard information, share, and it will come back to you. And I think the last thing, um, that I will say on how you can send the elevator back down is that the goal should be stronger than your ego. I think a lot of the times what stops us from helping other black women or helping other um, younger black women in the, the, in the workplace is this sense of like, one, I struggled and I did it and so you have to too. Or just like the ego of being like, well, what if this person's better than me? Or what if, what if, what if, what if? And the thing is, at the end of the day, what's for you is for you. 
Nobody's going to come and take your job. Sharing and, and helping other people doesn't take from you. It adds to you. It adds to the collective black women in corporate, right? I've said this time and time again. We're leaving corporate at the the highest or fastest rate of any other group, even though we are the most educated, right? And there are there are a lot of factors that contribute to that, but we can't let the egos of ourselves be one of those factors. Like we can't let the fact that we're so prideful and we 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 have these preconceived notions of of black women womanhood and how to earn things and how to do all this and I did this so I get it like times change people change generations are different but at the end of the day we want to see each other win at least I want to see other black women win and so my ego has to be less than my desire to see us all win and succeed and so as you're thinking about what to share how to treat people Know that the ultimate goal is to move black women forward without, like, period. Like, the goal is to move black women forward in corporate and to get us in spaces where we can then create other opportunities for other black women. And your ego has to be, you have to be self-aware enough to know that your ego is not more important or should not be more important than the collective goal of us as a people. That's not to say you got to be fake, humble, and do all those things, but you just have to keep the goal in mind. And if the goal is to have us as a community move forward, you have to be able to keep your egos in check. That's all I'm saying. And, you know, I have my moments, too, where I'm like, do you know who I am? Well, I don't really, I don't, I don't think I've ever said that to anybody except my best friend. And it was like 48 hours ago because she tried to play me, act like I couldn't do something. But at the end of the day, your ego should not be so big that there's no room for anyone or anything else except you and your ego. And I'll just leave it at that. Now, I know this was not your typical, my typical smiley, happy. Um, am I normally smiley, happy on the podcast? I don't know. But I think it's really important because... The only way that we're going to move forward as a group is if we take responsibility, both good and bad, for what we bring into spaces and tangible ways that we can help or at least start to help bridge the gap between, you know, where we are as a group in terms of pay scale and, and career opportunities and just access. If we're going to move that forward, we have to take responsibility for how we create space and opportunities for the next generation or even our current peer group um, within the corporate space. So send the elevator back down in any way that you see fit, but make sure that you're not the person who has a stop or some your foot in the door of the elevator to make sure that it never goes back down for anybody else. That's all I got for today. Um, as always, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can join us in our Facebook group at I Choose a Ladder or on Instagram at I Choose a Ladder. If you have not done so, make sure you subscribe to the memo. You can do that by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. And until next time, thank you for listening.